1: The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor.
0: Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Stay Sane Monday. Why? I'm trying to stay sane, all right? It's hard, D. You having trouble staying sane? Um, I think we're all having trouble. It's uh, seven days, I want to say, of quarantine. Um, Seven days of staying in my house. I just want to give a shout-out to the Family Dollar right near uh,
2: Albany
1: (laughs) Park. You guys have really helped me out this weekend.
0: (laughs) Holy cow. Yeah, a lot of love love to the Jewel. A lot of people at the Jewel uh, went to the Jewel's to get some uh, groceries on Saturday, and uh, people are staying cool. Staying patient, everybody's relaxed, chilled out, not freaking out. Had a nice conversation with the person in the, the line for Redbox. Saw a couple good movies trying to just, there just you, go. you know. There just. You go. Hey. I watched uh, the Octavia Spencer made for TV Netflix thing. Um, self-made about the Madam C.J. Walker. Good flick, had fun doing it. But uh, it's really hard to stay sane, folks. President is losing his mind. We'll start with him, number one. Uh, President Donald John Trump, I watch his briefings, you know, say, so, well, you know, see how he's handling it, see what uh, messages uh, he's offering the American people at this time of crisis. And I tell you what, the guy just seems like a lunatic to me. <laughs> Yesterday, for instance, a reporter asked him a question regarding the uh, senators who stole off their stock uh, in various companies on the eve <laughs> of the quarantine, uh, excuse me, on the eve of the coronavirus hitting the, uh, the United States. There was a briefing and a couple of Republican senators uh, took the information. They learned from the briefing and immediately sold their sold their stocks in various companies that were going to take a hit uh, by uh, as a result of the coronavirus. Uh, Lock them up. (laughs) Lock them up. (laughs) Lock them up. Pretty obvious example of a politician uh, using his or her position of power and prominence uh, to benefit his or her pocketbook and screw everybody else. So if it's not illegal, it should be illegal. If it's not, uh, it is definitely unethical. There's talk of bouncing them from office. Anyway, somebody asked Trump about this. Martha Stewart did that, right? Very good for knowing that Martha Stewart did. Wow, that was that was going back. What in happened time. to her? She went to she was locked up locked them up locked them up, up. Yes. Locked <laughs> them up. Okay. Uh, you're right uh, D uh, she uh, spent some time uh, in a federal penitentiary in Connecticut I want to say for uh, inside trade. anyway uh, so uh, Donald Trump was asked the question and immediately went on this bizarre winding twisting road of an explanation I didn't even, I can't even call it an explanation it was like a response he started by saying it was a nasty question you know which is his way of saying, I don't want to answer it.
1: Well, here's my, I got a theory on this, by the way.
0: Okay, go ahead. Can I
1: run it by you? Go. I know I don't really do too many political theories here on the
0: Let, program. No, but you don't, you, I hear them all the time, ladies and gentlemen. Even I may not do them on the program, but I hear them all the time. I they think influence it, me. Go it's ahead. the
1: one thing he's good at. The, literally the one thing he's good at. And like those people, when uh, CNN or when they ask him those questions, I feel like he's like, yes. Thank you. I can now go. I can revert to that. I don't have to talk about uh, all this health stuff because he's not good at it. You know what
0: I mean? He like I think you're absolutely correct. He's he is good at these long, windy riffs that are borderline comical uh, that make no sense. But every now and then pound somebody that every all of his supporters agree is an enemy. So you're absolutely correct. He's got like one trick, and that <laughs> he's is one trick pony. You know,
1: and like, okay, negotiating—that's probably like he's—he's he's good at negotiating. All right, but like all this, what's going on now? this is not in his wheelhouse this is not what you know what i mean
0: yeah he's he's not good at, at projecting leadership he's not good at staying sane logical and reasonable these are not attributes of donald john trump he's not good at conveying complicated information in a way that everybody can understand he is indifferent on the point of hostility to science he's indifferent to the point of hostility on medicine he, when he when he talks about the test that that's another funny thing whatever he has to talk about people ask him did you take the corona test and it's never quite clear if he did take the test because <laughs> he's so incomprehensible when he describes the test it's very bizarre when he and pence pence took another stab at explaining what he it's like it's like there's something about the test that they find offensive and gross so they don't want to go into the details because the test involves sticking a, you know some device up your nose to get a sample and <laughs> it's just it, they have a difficult time with the test but you're you're right donald trump Uses questions as opportunities to do riffs on things that have nothing to do with the question asked, just but to hit his points. Yep. It's apologize. like he
1: needs those. He needs those uh, people, like those reporters, to do that. Like if the reporters didn't ask anything and just stayed silent, he would be like on the ropes even more, right?
0: Yeah. So yeah, you're right. Those are they trigger certain responses. So anyway, the question was asked about inside training. I believe the question was directly: to Have you done any of this? Which is a valid question. It's certainly Donald Trump is capable ethically of being unethical. We all know that. So it's absolutely within the realm of possibility that he sold stock. Uh, in a company that, uh, that he realized based on his inside information was about to fall in value. And so you sell it when it's high before it collapses and it's not worth as much. So he's absolutely capable ethically of doing such a thing. So it's a legitimate question to ask him. Instead of answering it, he went on this... This riff where he started talking about how much money he sacrificed by running for president and being president. And it wasn't just like a little bit, it was like billions and billions of dollars. Oh, God. I know yeah. he started doing it, billions and billions. Millions I'm like, of masks. Billions <laughs> of dollars. Millions of masks. They said, millions. I said, yes, we
1: got millions of masks. Millions. <laughs> and there's like people like freaking out at home, like, what do I do?
0: Millions of millions and millions, huh? (laughs) So he's like crazy. He is crazy. So billions and billions of dollars, and I'm thinking a couple things. One, first of all, it's not at all clear if you are a billionaire. That one of the many theories as there's like two central theories as to why Donald Trump is concealing uh, his tax returns, even though most politicians release them when they run for higher office. Uh, One theory is that this is the Monroe Anderson theory is that he's concealing all kinds of illicit uh, deals with uh, Russian businessmen and bankers. Uh, and that he doesn't want folks to know about. So he's concealing something that he doesn't want, something he's done that he doesn't want people to know about. And the other theory is that he's ashamed to confess that he's not worth as much as he lets you believe he's worth. So he's not a billionaire at all. And so there's these two competing theories about why Donald Trump won't release his taxes. So there he is talking about, I can make billions and billions. <laughs> I lost billions. I'm like, well, we don't even know if you've ever made billions of dollars. You know, you could just be a complete and total fraud on this front uh, because you won't release your taxes. Uh, I lost billions and billions of dollars. And then there's the other point. He actually may have profited from being president. Because his hotels are picking up business. People have to stay at his hotels when they come to meet with him. So there's the whole issue of how much money Donald Trump and his family has made from the fact that he is president and is helping promote his Trump brand name. So it, ironically, it could be just the opposite. You've made billions and billions of dollars. We don't know, of course, because you don't release your taxes. But it was just this brilliant little I mean, brilliant, I don't know if that's the right word, but clever little winding twisting, tangential or riff where i didn't know where he was going he i don't think he knew where he was going but but every now and then he hit certain talking points like nasty question fake news i've sacrificed so much it's good it's good i've done so much for the country and then he goes the stock market was great and he keeps hitting this theme it's like the the stock market was great when the coronavirus hits not my fault it was an invisible invasion it's lunacy no leadership, no direction, no attempt to calm people, no attempt to just sort of empathize with people, what no, they're going through.
1: P- giving people no reason, people who disagree with them on the left or, you know, any given no reason to trust them.
0: Absolutely. None. You have to have just complete and total blind faith in Donald Trump to trust him, or you must despise, and I mean strongly despise anybody of the Democratic persuasion. And that's just enough. I'm sticking with Trump because I hate Democrats. And I know, you know, some people like this downstate, you show me their uh, Facebook postings and stuff. They just, they hate Pritzker. Here's Pritzker emanating leadership, trying to be empathetic, uh, trying to be clear and uh, precise as to exactly what he is doing, what he wants. Trying to calm down freaked out people. Yes. And still there are people that, (laughs) who hate him. They just dislike him. They just are never going to give him a break. Uh, So, you know, that's, that's that's well the, now now I'm starting better.
1: now I talk to my downstate friends and now we're getting to you know say what you want about Pritzker we're getting that
0: now. is that, do you get it's to started, the say to come around it's starting to come around a will. little bit now it's coming around a little wow bit. well it's leadership anyway so that's Donald Trump so I'm trying to stay sane in the face of this clown act and then there's my beloved Democrats like where are my beloved Democrats I've been having this conversation with a lot of lefties a lot of uh, liberals even. Who is the leader of the Democratic Party right now? Like who is the person, man or woman, Who's sort of the voice of the Democrats, who can just be the reasonable voice of opposition to Donald Trump, who's presenting the Democratic argument for what we need to do at this time, not just in on the uh, financial end of things. We're trying to shelter people from the coming recession as people are out of work, forced to stay at home, can't do their jobs, not just to cushion the blow that's coming. If it it's probably hit a lot of people already. But also just on the day to day fight of trying to protect people from the virus to try to protect us from the spread of the virus. So where are the Democrats articulating where we should be? I don't even know who that person should be. I, You can make an argument for Nancy Pelosi. You can make an argument for Charles Schumer. Oh, I tell you, I, he,
1: I see a feller on uh, live stream all over the Internet these days, a guy named Bernie Sanders, who's well, just <laughs> okay.
0: talking, trying to help people out. And you can make that gets to the main point. You probably should make the argument that it would be Joe Biden. Joe Biden, uh, former vice president Joe Biden, obviously, it has been winning all the primaries lately, uh, seems to be well ahead in the the race to be the nominee to run against Donald Trump. He seems to have the upper hand of Bernie Sa- against Bernie Sanders in the primary. But unlike Bernie, Joe Biden is nowhere to be found. He went a week silent. And... Uh, I mean, this is the most inopportune time for the leader of the Democratic Party to be silent. This is the moment when Democrats, just not just Democrats, but independents, everybody is looking for signs of leadership. You got this buffoon in the White House who's babbling on about the billions, billions. I've lost billions, just not millions, but billions and billions.
1: And people are so freaked out, like not even like, hey, I'm I'm here, guys. How's it going? I know. Not even like a quick, like you're leaving us, uh, very suspicious. Sir. Yes. you just disappeared. You're letting us just draw up any conclusion we want of what's going on with you.
0: And, and to that point, uh, what you're about to hear is an interview I conducted with, uh, Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa, 35th ward, one of the leading progressive voices in God the city of Chicago. And, uh, we talk about the disappearance of Joe Biden's favorite topic of Democrats. Uh, where has do- uh, Joe Biden gone? Uh, Carlos reminisced briefly about a moment in Chicago history that occurred about 14 years ago. In 2006, uh, the president of the Cook County Board was a man named John Stroger. He had a stroke. And uh, when he had the stroke, he disappeared from public view. But his family and allies propped him up as though he were cogent. As though, though, yeah, he had a, a minor health scare, but he's okay. You know, we couldn't see John Stroger, you know, he he didn't come before the cameras to reassure us, but his family and friends says, he's okay. This was right on the eve of a primary and uh, John Stroger was victorious in the primary. Even, (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm laughing, even though I think he was in like a coma state. He was victorious. And then what the Democrats did soon thereafter uh, was to meet uh, with the party leaders. There was a they convened a meeting of the committeemen, and they voted to approve uh, Todd Stroger, John Stroger's son, to replace John Stroger as the candidate for uh, Cook County uh, board president. Uh, and it enraged the good people of uh, Cook County to no end. And it's part of the reason why Tony Precical uh, was uh, able to be, defeat Todd Stroger four years later. Uh, anyway, the point is, it, uh, Carlos reflects on that. And wondering, are we having a John Stroger moment here? I mean, we, in the absence of Joe Biden on a regular basis coming before the American people, you're right, G, not just to say like how I'm dealing with the coronavirus, but to say things like, you know, check in. Just to check in, you know. How about the guys? I'm doing fine. Come on, man. How about that Octavia Spencer uh, series over the weekend I saw, you know, uh, self made, great movie, you know, anything. You know, we're checking in every day with our podcast, right? Yeah. Uh, so maybe just, you know, play the radio, make sure the
2: television, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night, The, the, the phone, make sure the kids hear words. Listen,
0: I'm not saying that the Democrats, uh, should replace Joe Biden as the nominee. Okay. We're not at that stage yet. I have no evidence, uh, to suggest that Joe Biden has lost the mental capacity to be president of the United States. I'm not saying that. I'm I'm just saying Joe Biden if you don't want the job if you're not up for the job if you suddenly see how overwhelming and difficult it is because we're heading into this crisis step aside and let somebody else take over cuz I'm sure there's no shortage of democrats who would want that job All right folks without further ado Let's bring on our interview with Alderman Carlos Ramirez-Rosa. We're doing a special Monday uh, interview with Carlos Ramirez-Rosa, the Alderman of the 35th Ward. So, uh, Carlos, a lot to cover. Uh, just just start with some personal stuff. How are you handling this? Are, are you one of those millennials flocking to the beach of Florida and running around uh, in the oh, waves?
2: Oh, no. We're, we're taking social distancing very serious in the 35th Ward. Uh, as of last week, Monday, we closed my office to walk-in visitors. And then as soon as we set up the uh, phone uh, technology necessary to have everybody work from home, uh, we closed the office Uh So I've been working from home the last several days. My staff have been working from home, which actually means you don't stop working in my case uh, because you just, you know, camp out on the sofa or at the table or on your bed. And then, you know, yesterday, I think I worked about uh, 12 hours, uh, much to the anger of my partner. (laughs) Uh,
0: How are you how are you doing just in terms of buying foods and supplies and just all those basic things that everybody's struggling with at these moments?
2: Um, Well, you know, I live a block away from uh, an Aldi um, and uh, across the street from the Walgreens. Uh, So for all you sleuths out there, you should be able to figure that out right in the city of Chicago. Um, But um, I I think that obviously, you know, as as an alderman, as someone that has a government job, um, I'm very lucky in this moment. And I know that there are a lot of working people who um, have already lost their job, who have seen their hours cut. Um, so I'm not struggling. Um, I'm very worried about the working people in my ward, particularly, who have already lost their jobs or will lose their jobs. Um, I've made contact with the uh, food pantries in our area. They're already seeing a stress uh, on their supply of food. So if you can donate to them, uh, please do so. Um, but, yeah, there, there are a lot of working people right now that, you know, are, are struggling to, to be able to, to put food on the table.
0: Oh, well, yeah. Now, by the way, for folks who are from outside of Chicago, we have a lot of listeners from outside of Chicago, uh alderman ramirez rosa's uh ward is the 35th ward it's logan square on uh, northwest side of chicago we'll get into the politics in a little while uh it's probably the most progressive ward in the city in terms of just uh, election after election carlos like it went solid for bernie i think close to uh i forget what the term the bernie vote was in your ward actually i know kim fox got about 70 percent of the vote uh in your ward so it's it's, I it think was 69 uh,
2: percent of the vote for Bernie Sanders.
0: 69.
2: Yeah. Wow. Second highest in the city of Chicago. So one ward got 70. That's the 12th ward. Uh, congratulations to the 12th ward IPL for pulling that off. And then uh, in the 35th ward, uh, we were just one point shy of them at 69. This is a great number. You uh, tell
0: me that. Yeah. No, it is a great number. And I, I this is a a deeper dive for another time. Uh, your ward also has. Uh, it has people who would not vote for Bernie in it. Let's just put it that way. Whereas the 12th Ward has some advantages over you in the Bernie contest. Not that anybody's really watching the Bernie contest, except for you and me. So I still say the 35th (laughs) Ward is the most progressive. I'll argue with the IPO in 12th uh, some other time. Uh, (laughs) We'll get into the election. I know you have a lot to say about uh, the election and where the Democrats are going and what we need to hear from Joe Biden Uh, This has been on my mind as well. So we'll get into all that. But let's just start with some events that happened today. Uh, Working families had a press conference and uh, made some declarations as to what they need the city, the state, and uh, the federal government to do in response to the coronavirus. Talk about what uh, some of those items on the list are.
2: Yeah, you know, Ben, um, we talked a little bit about the struggle that working people are having right now to put food on their table. Um, That's been a struggle that a lot of working people have been facing beyond before, long before uh, this uh, COVID-19 pandemic and ensuing recession. In many ways, so many working families never recovered from the last recession just 10 years ago. So we have so many people right now who have already lost their jobs, who are at the brink of losing their jobs. Prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, we already had tens of thousands of people that were doubled up that had a lot of housing insecurity that were living in the streets here in the city of Chicago uh, and millions across the United States. Um, And we know that this pandemic is only going to exacerbate that inequity in our society. And so United Working Families, which is a progressive coalition of state elected officials, county elected officials, local elected officials, and community groups from throughout Chicagoland came together and said, what do we need to put forward in this moment to ensure that the most vulnerable in our communities are protected and have security. So we put forward the right to recovery package. And that package says that we need to make sure that those who have lost their jobs who have seen a reduction in their hours receive $750 per week or $3,000 per month for the foreseeable future. That we need to have a fund to shore up our small businesses. That we need to make sure that seniors have access to groceries and to quality healthcare then we need to make sure that undocumented people who will not qualify for federal relief, so they cannot get unemployment insurance if they've already lost their job, uh, that more than likely will not get a Trump check if and when that ever materializes, we need to make sure that we are plugging that gap here locally because undocumented people are the backbone of so many industries that are gonna be directly impacted by uh, this pandemic, whether it be our food supply chain, our restaurants, our cleaning personnel, folks cleaning our hospitals, So we really wanna make sure um, that as a state, county, and local government here in Illinois, that our response is one that understands that this crisis existed long before this pandemic, that this pandemic is gonna exacerbate the crisis that we're already in, and that if we're gonna get through this, we need to make sure that everyone has a right to recovery. And that means policies that prioritize our working families, policies that prioritize our most vulnerable, and ensure that the government is providing the type of support and safety nets that we need for the long haul. Because even if we're able to leave our homes in four to six weeks, even if we're able to have meetings again in June and July, which is an optimistic scenario, but even if that does happen, we're not gonna get out of this recession for months, years to come, And rather than prioritizing Wall Street the way that the Republicans and Congress are doing right now, we need to be prioritizing our working families. And so that's what the right for recovery package is about.
0: All right. You talk about prioritizing Wall Street. Uh, What's your sense of, what's your reaction to how the federal government has responded to this crisis so far?
2: Well, I, I think that, you know, one, we've seen that Donald Trump, in terms of his rhetoric, is different than your average Republican. So He went on national TV and said uh, the health insurance uh, companies will pay for all of your COVID-19 coverage. In reality, that wasn't true. So he struck a very populist tone uh, when speaking about this uh, issue and and, and the support that American families needed. But in reality, that's not the policy. Uh, You know, President Trump came out and said that he wanted to prioritize working people. Uh, He was one of the first people uh, to uh, set up um, or, or to put forward a proposal Around uh, relief to individual families, but then they go around and they create a um, they create a measure uh, that is going to give more uh, bailouts and more corporate welfare to Wall Street. So you know the the reality is is that um, you know Trump is using different rhetoric than what we would normally be used used to from a Republican. But when it comes down to the actual policies, he's the same old Wall Street loving. Uh, status quo loving politician uh, that has long been, uh, you know, the, the, the main uh, membership of the Republican Party.
0: Let's talk about his willingness to use different rhetoric, even if it's not backed up, uh, as your point is well taken by reality. He uses rhetoric, Carlos, that I had to just shake my head with irony. I've had so many conversations with you down through the years uh, since 2016, when Bernie first ran about the electability of a democratic socialist. And push comes to shove, we're having this catastrophe, this nationwide uh, uh, catastrophe dealing with uh, a disease that we can't control, and Donald Trump starts Talking like Bernie Sanders to a certain degree. Now I know he's not backing it up yet, but he's talking like he's. It's like you know, in the old days. But it was just about two or three weeks ago that you and I were having a conversation: Is is Bernie electable in swing districts? Will Democrats in suburban Wisconsin vote for a Democratic socialist? You know, are these are his proposals too far out? And here we have Donald Trump, the head of the Republican Party, talking about guaranteed checks. Uh, for Americans and uh, paid sick leave for Americans, straight out of the Bernie playbook.
2: Right, exactly. Yeah, there was there was actually uh, someone that I saw online that said, you know, uh, you look at the things that Donald Trump has proposed over the last several weeks, it looks like he read Bernie Sanders' coronavirus response plan. Uh, Bernie Sanders was the first national leader to come out and say that we need to use the power that the federal government has to compel industries to do certain things during a time of crisis, right? that—that that war power that we need to now enact and use that federal policy to make sure that our corporations are not price gouging and that they're creating the types of things that our hospitals and that our communities going to need—hand sanitizer, face masks. So Donald Trump said, "I'm enacting that power," and then did absolutely nothing with it. Um, you know, Donald Trump has come out and said, "We need to give people checks. We need to give people direct relief." Bernie Sanders put that forward in his plan. He said, we need to get people at least $2,000 a month starting out. Donald Trump is not coming out. The Republicans are not coming out and and saying that they're going to provide some level of relief, nowhere near to what Bernie Sanders called, but there's going to be a potential, real big potential that there's going to be what's called the Trump check, right? That people are going to get their check from the federal government and they're going to view it as coming from Donald Trump. Um, And then again, I think one of the biggest things was in his nationally televised speech, the the first major one he did, where he sat at the desk in the Oval Office, he said, the insurance companies, I've spoken with them, and they are going to cover all of the costs related to treating COVID-19. That sounds like a very attractive policy to working people. That's exactly the type of policy that we should be having. We wouldn't have to be worrying about it if we had Medicare for all. But he said it, and there was no substance to it because it simply was not true. So To me, I think that we know that Donald Trump is a fraud. We know that he's a liar. We know that he will say whatever he feels he needs to say to save his own skin. Um, And so if that means taking on populist tones, if that means saying that he's going to take on Wall Street and drain the swamp he claimed time and time again, he's willing to do that. But when he actually does the substantive policy, we see that it's the same policy that protects the rich and powerful, that protects people in his class. Um, he's protecting uh, other billionaires just like him, and he's making sure that they're going to get bailed out uh, by his government and, and really not going to do what's needed to protect the American working class.
0: All right, Carlos, uh, that's uh, your analysis of how Trump's reacted. What's your uh, a- analysis of how the National Democrats, Schumer, Pelosi, etc., have responded?
2: Well, you know, I think they've really bungled it. Um, they had an opportunity as— uh, the you know, majority in the House to come forward with a bold, wide-ranging package of legislation that was really going to push the envelope, that was really going to show who was the party on the side of the American worker, who was really going to put into place the policies that were going to protect working people for the long haul. Because as we've said time and time again, this is not going away in a month or two months. Even if we're able to flatten the curve uh, and rein in the number of new cases of COVID-19, we are going to see a recession unlike we've seen in generations. Mm. Um, and already so many people have lost their jobs. Millions more are going to lose their jobs. So instead of showing what real leadership on behalf of working families looks like, the Democrats put forward a culture reform package that the Republicans in the Senate, some of them then criticize is not going far enough. And, and I think that this is what happens when you have a calcified party that for decades has focused on austerity, has focused on cuts. Has tried to out Republicans, the Republicans on the deficit. They have really fallen into a trap set up by uh, by neoliberals, uh, by neoconservatives, um, and and it's really scary. Um, and 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 luckily, we've had folks like AOC, like Bernie Sanders, uh, other members of the squad, um, and and other you know uh, members of Congress come forward with the actual type of bold progressive policies that Democrats need to be putting forward. But absent, you know, having uh, Schumer and Pelosi on board with those plans, it's kind of just like we have a lot of different Democrats talking all at once and we don't have, you know, a a clear progressive message as to what the Democratic Party is promising to the American people at this time.
0: Yeah. And uh, that moves me to Joe Biden, the issue of Joe Biden. Uh, I agree with you. The Democrats need a, a voice. If it's not literally one person, it's everybody on board. Uh, more or less. So I don't know who that person would be. I can make an argument for Nancy Pelosi. I can make an argument for uh, Pelosi and Schumer together, Uh, AOC. I can make an argument for her. But I think the strongest argument would be Joe Biden. The Democratic voters through in primaries and caucuses more have been picking him as the standard bearer. And I think one of the most... I hear this from so many lefties, Carlos, one of the most disappointment, the greatest disappointments they've had since the, the primary, of the 17th, is that Joe Biden has virtually disappeared. We we're talking about this with Samina Mustafa just the other day. Where is Joe Biden? And I, I think Democrats want to hear from the, the quote unquote leader of their party. He's going to be the standard bearer in November, probably. And uh, so what's your thoughts about how Joe Biden has sort of disappeared in the last week?
2: You know, it's really scary. Um, I represent an immigrant community, um, one that has faced the nasty, racist and xenophobic uh, rhetoric of this president uh, that has seen the deployment of ICE in very violent ways in our communities. I do want to make it clear that Barack Obama deported many more people than Donald Trump at this point uh, in his presidency. Um, So when it comes to actual, you know, number of people deported, number of families torn apart. Barack Obama and Joe Biden have hurt more families at this point in their presidency than Donald Trump. But nonetheless, we know that Donald Trump's rhetoric has real consequences. We've seen an increase in hate crimes against immigrants and people of color. Um, And and we've seen the fear in our community. So I represent an immigrant community. Uh, I myself am a gay man. I represent a working class community that needs that economic relief, that needs an economy that prioritizes us and not just a rich and powerful few. So I'm committed to defeating Donald Trump. I want to see him out of office. And I want to see the type of policies that he's put in place buried in the ground. I want to make sure that we have a government and economy that works for working people. Um, And that's why I've been such a strong supporter for Bernie Sanders, because I said this in 2016, if we put forward an establishment Democrat, we're going to lose to Donald Trump. I'm saying this again in 2020. If we put forward an establishment Democrat, we're going to lose to Donald Trump. Ben, the last time that a establishment Democrat won the presidency, was 60 years ago, outside of incumbents. So if you look at Barack Obama, yeah, obviously you're an establishment once once you're the president, right? So Barack Obama wins again. But when he won, he was not the establishment. He was a freshman senator who was running against the establishment, Hillary Clinton. Uh, Bill Clinton, again, he was a young governor from the South uh, who was running against the establishment when he first won the presidency. So outside of incumbents, the only time that a Democrat who was part of the establishment Uh, has won uh, the presidency was Jack Kennedy in 1960. And I think it's becoming abundantly clear right now that Joe Biden is no Jack Kennedy. (laughs) During the moment of a national crisis, we have not seen him for five days. And then he appears today on a video he posted online, it's 60 seconds long, he's slurring his speech through it. This is not the type of leadership that Democrats need right now. We need someone that's gonna speak to working people So, you know, yes, right now, Bernie Sanders is behind in the delegate count. It's not as dire as CNN or MSNBC want you to believe. Uh, He is behind in the delegate count. But I have to say, I'm really worried at this moment. And I want to see Joe Biden step up. I want him to be the type of nominee that can turn out young people, that can turn out progressive Latinos who have overwhelmingly, state after state, preferred Bernie Sanders, um, who can change the electoral map. Because Joe Biden is entering this election, if he is going to be our nominee, with the same electoral coalition as Hillary Clinton. And Hillary Clinton lost in an electoral college uh, embarrassingly defeat. Um, And so we really need to to change up that coalition. Um, I think that Bernie Sanders is the nominee to do it, but right now I am really afraid. I'm afraid um, of of what it means if Joe Biden is our nominee. Um, Again, missing an action for five days in the middle of a national crisis when he should be out there speaking to working people and telling them what he's going to do. And by the way, Bernie Sanders has been out there every single night talking directly to the American people, uh, doing our Facebook lives, speaking with, uh, you know, aviation uh, leaders from, uh, you know, Sarah Nelson from the uh, from Flight Attendance Union, speaking with other congressmen, uh, speaking with health professionals, speaking directly to working people about what this crisis means, what we can do in this moment. Bernie Sanders has used his campaign to raise over $2 million dollars for charities that are uh, helping the most impacted people right now in this moment by COVID-19. Um, meanwhile, you know, Joe Biden has been missing in action and we have to ask ourselves why?
0: Yeah. Why? Why do you think he's missing in action?
2: I, you know, there's a lot of rumors right now, um, but I, I will say this, you know, we both lived through John Stroger, Um and what happened in 2006. <laughs> I mean, I get that same feeling right yeah. now. I, I was 17 years old. Yeah. And, um, you know, we had a, 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 an incumbent uh, uh, Democratic Party uh, Cook County board president, and he had a stroke. And for months, the Cook County Democratic Party and his family lied about the state of his health condition. And it wasn't until they knew that he uh, had secured re-election uh, or was, uh, that they brought in his son and, and put in Todd's stroke, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. All
2: right. Uh, so I, I do have a feeling something's not right right now with with uh, with Joe. It's, it's really scary.
0: It it it's it's bizarre. It is scary. Well, I I find it upsetting on many levels. I, again, I think the Democratic uh, Party should be putting out a message, and there has to be a leader to issue that message. Uh, so, for instance, like J.B. Pritzker's one. Um, a lot of accolades for the way he's handled it, and uh, Andrew Cuomo uh, has won, a, uh, governor of New York, has won a lot of accolades for the way he's handled this. And in each case, they're not uh, Carlos speaking so much about the uh, economic policies that the government should enact to try to uh, buffer the recession that we're heading into. They're talking more about emergency health emergency matters, like the need for more masks. Where are you, federal government? We need hospital beds, doctors. Where are the supplies? Who's in charge at the the head of the chain of command? And so, I give Pritzker credit uh, and Cuomo credit for speaking very specific emergency matters, but that's different than a voice of where the country should be going in the most you know right. general sense. And it's absent from Joe Biden. I don't know if it's because he has a lack of imagination and doesn't know where he wants the country to go. I don't know if he just decided he's going to take a break. I've seen politicians do that, Carlos.
2: I've seen politicians... You don't don't take a break at this time. If you want to be our president, if you want to be the nominee of our party, now's not the time to take a break. And if your health and your condition is is in such a place that you need to take a break, then let's talk about it. Um, And and perhaps you should not... be running for president and be putting yourself forward as our nominee at such a critical point in time um you know i've seen some democrats that have kind of just said shut up you know don't talk about it everything's fine um there was an article that came out uh in in mother jones um which does such a discredit to mother jones the woman herself i just want to say that (laughs) mother jones a saint of the working class an illinois hero Um, And and here the paper that that the magazine that is supposed to, you know, carry on her name and her legacy, just, you know, a lot of times is, you know, supporting the the neoliberal status quo. But there was an article that came out that said everything's fine with Joe Biden. You know, uh, yeah, we haven't seen him in four days, but uh, his office is uh, his campaign is setting up the ability so that he can do regular teleconferencing and, and video conferences with people. I'm sorry, but we're doing this right now. And how long did it take to set it up? The Bernie Sanders campaign had that technology yeah. already set up. Yeah. The reality is that they tried to do a uh, you know, video conference with uh, his supporters uh, leading up to the Illinois primary. And Joe spoke for four minutes and then wandered off the, the, the set um, and, and was saying things that were not true. He said that he was sponsoring some legislation, supported some legislation years ago, which, in fact, he had not. Um, so, again, I, I think that there's a lot of signs that point to, you know, if something is not right. Um, and if, if Democrats are asking me as, as a lowly little alderman to be part of another Stroger conspiracy at the national level, I'm not going to do that. You know, I think it, right now is incumbent upon Democrats that are serious about defeating Donald Trump to talk about what's going on, where's our nominee. And even Marcos, uh, you know, the, the, the founder and editor of Daily Cost, uh who is not a fan of Bernie Sanders, was one of the first people to point this out. And he said, where is our quote-unquote presumptive nominee? I don't think he's a presumptive nominee. Again, Bernie Sanders is not that far behind the delegate count. And who knows what could happen now in November. Uh, Um, But even Marco said, where is Joe Biden? He should be leading a, a press conference every single day talking about what we need to be doing at this moment. Um, and, and thus far, that has not happened. It's the fifth day that this has not happened during this national crisis.
0: Well, I'm going to go back in history. First of all, I do not, I'm just going to st- make this really clear, everybody listening. Uh, neither Carlos nor I are suggesting it's a, a Stroger-like situation. We have n- it, I, we're have we just trying to figure things out. It was mm-hmm. He was making a comparison. He's not in any way saying. Thank uh, you. Uh, yeah, Thank I want I yeah. to say, clarify that right now. Uh, and, uh, by the way, a, t- a topic for another time, but, uh, I voted for Stroger, all the Stroger's who ran in that election. I'm very proud of those votes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a topic for another time, Carlos. Um, I remember, I don't, using my age here, I remember in 1984 when the Democrats had nominated Walter Mondale as their standard, you weren't even born yet, and, uh, but it was a, it was an election worth studying because there's some parallels, uh, and they elected they nominated uh, Walter Mondale, and the idea once again an establishment, uh, de- well known Democrat, was the way to beat Reagan. Okay, not and we're going to move <laughs> away from the left. La- I'm telling you, this is this attitude has been around a long time, Carlos. Yeah. I, I've been hearing it forever. It an and uh, at the convention, uh, Mario Cuomo. Who's Andrew Cuomo's father gave this stirring speech, and immediately Democrats started talking about replacing <laughs> Mondale with Cuomo. And Cuomo, at one, I just said, "I'm not going to do it." Mondale's uh, the standard bearer. I say anything is possible, Carlos, because this is these are dire times, and if Joe Biden doesn't step up and take charge and show Democrats that uh, he has a vision for where he wants to take this country uh, in these dangerous times, the Democrats may discard him as their candidate. I'm just putting that out there as a positive. I don't know. I'm not saying they're going to go with Bernie.
2: It's certainly possible. Yeah. And and I think that that's what I mean when I say, you know, pulling the stroger is this notion that for whatever reason you have a candidate who actually isn't going to make it uh, to election day as, as the standard bearer, but you keep their name, At the forefront right now in the hopes that you can do a switcheroo behind the scenes right that instead of actually going to the voters and having this robust conversation with the electorate and respecting the democratic electorate in the primary process that instead you're going to kind of hope to limp along long enough that if suddenly you feel like you need to bring in someone else you have the option to do that uh behind the scenes behind closed doors not a cigar smoke uh, filled room, maybe a jewel filled room uh, <laughs> in these days and age. You know the, the vaping, but um, although please, at this moment in time, obviously, I think if you have not quit smoking, if you not quit vaping, now would be the time to do so uh, in this crisis. Um, but what I can say is that you know um, it, I, I'm scared, and and again, you know, as a, as someone who is so committed to defeating Donald Trump. Um, I want to be excited about Joe Biden. He's our nominee. I want to feel secure that this is someone that's going to, you know, defeat uh, Donald Trump. I'm not seeing that right now. Um, he's been missing in action for five days, and then he appears in a pre-recorded message. Right, that says a lot. It's a pre-recorded message, 60 seconds long. He's slurring his speech throughout it, um, and and he didn't really say anything of substance. You know, yeah. he he attacks the Republicans with some good lines. Uh, yes, you know that obviously important politically to do so when it comes to messaging. Um, but I, I'm not seeing right now the type of leader that we need in this crisis. And let's keep in mind that if Democrats are deluding themselves into thinking that Donald Trump is so unfavorable and it's, has bungled this so much that, you know, you can run anybody against them and they'll win, that's just not true. The polling shows that most voters across the board um, blame China more so than they blame Donald Trump for the moment and the crisis that we're in right now. And that kind of tells you why Trump and the Republicans continue to beat this drum of the China virus, of nasty xenophobic rhetoric around China. Um, it's because they know that that's how they're going to be able to buck their responsibility and their bungling of this uh, and try and secure Donald Trump a second term. And right now it's working. And Joe Biden is nowhere to be seen to, to counter that. Yeah.
0: And by the way, I just want to say, uh, I, I've been dutifully watching most of, if not all of, uh, Donald Trump's uh, Press conferences over the last week or so, and the bar is really low at what constitutes a, an articulate, uh, credible positioning of where we're at. I got to tell you, Donald Trump half the time I don't know what he's talking about. He's borderline incoherent. Uh, he goes on these tangents. Uh, he, he always defers to the experts. He should be deferring to the experts. He shouldn't even be there. I think for these a lot of these briefings. Uh, you, know, you should just have the experts running it. So it, it is a moment where it's uh, right for the Democratic Party politically, I have to say. But uh, if there's nobody at the forefront, you can't beat Donald Trump with nobody. And that's uh, right. Exactly. that's a given. Exactly. All right. Let's close down by talking about what went down on Tuesday last week. Get your uh, assessment. Uh, Bernie lost in Illinois. Uh, both of us voted for Bernie. So uh, it was a rough night on that front. For Bernie supporters, but uh, there were also some, you know, good moments for lefties or progressives, whatever we are. So go through it. Your assessment of election night: Kim Fox won, Marie Newman won, uh, Bernie lost. Talk about it. Your how, what's your overall assessment of the election?
2: Yeah, well, well, you know, I'm just I'm just a, a lowly alderman. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I represent about sixty thousand people in my uh, district here in the city of Chicago, um, and you know, my my strength in my ward comes from working people that have organized themselves through our uh, independent political organization, which is called United Neighbors of the 35th Ward. Um, And and we know what we can affect and we know what we can't affect. And so leading into this election, what we said is um, we're gonna throw down for Bernie because we definitely wanna make sure that we do our part in our district to deliver the vote for Bernie. We wanna throw down for our progressive state's attorney, Kim Fox, because she has been a national leader on criminal justice reform that makes us safer while protecting our constitutional rights and addressing the racist, unjust uh, history, both uh, past and present, of our criminal justice system. Um, and we wanted to help our local state uh, rep candidate, uh, Nidia Carranza, who uh, is a public school teacher uh, and was running for an open seat that was created after one of our state representatives uh, was uh, caught uh, on tape uh, bribing another state legislator on behalf of a gambling company. So, um, we endorsed those three candidates. It, it's horrible. It, it, it's horrific. He actually then uh, worked to replace, under the Cook County Democratic Party and State of Illinois rules, uh, actually was then able to fill his uh, seat with his hand-picked replacement. Um, so we said, we want to throw down for those three candidates. Um, and we knocked doors. We knocked doors for those three candidates week after week. Uh, and we won in every single one of those races. So the 35th Ward went for Bernie Sanders. It went for Kim Fox. It went for Nidia Carranza, despite uh, being outspent and losing other places of that state rep district. Um, so I'm proud of what we've done in the 35th Ward. But pulling out big picture, I think the Bernie Sanders campaign should be very proud of what it's done uh, in this state and nationally. You know, mobilizing young people to come out and vote, with the exception of uh, the votes happened in happened on Tuesday after states began to enact measures, we have actually seen in state after state record turnout amongst young people. Now, unfortunately... We've also seen record turnout amongst uh, people that are voting for Joe Biden, older folks. So it's diluted uh, the amount of turnout that we've had from young people. But in state after state, with the exception of these states that happened this past week because of the impact of uh, the epidemic that we're in, uh, the pandemic that we're in, uh, we've seen turnout. Um, So I think the Bernie Sanders campaign should be very proud. In the city of Chicago, it won 21 out of 50 Chicago wards. It tied uh, in 22 wards. Uh, it saw an increase in its share of the vote uh, in in words. So, for example, my ward four years ago, Bernie Sanders won 61% of the vote. He's up to 69% of the vote. Um, so I, again, I, I think that you know it wasn't the result uh, that we wanted, obviously, um, but it really showed that that people put in work.
0: Carlos will close this down by talking about uh, local efforts that people can do. Uh, uh, on the local level to sort of protect themselves uh, during this virus, during this uh, pandemic, as you put it. it's what it is. Uh, So what advice can you give folks where they can turn to just some practical considerations for people who are uh, really having a hard time coping with this?
2: Well, I I think right now what we're hearing from a lot of people that are are under a lot of stress, um, that want to talk to someone. Uh, You may be in your house. You may have lost your job. Um, The National Alliance of Mental Illness, the NAMI hotline, is a great resource. You can go to my website, aldermancarlosrosa.org, and find that hotline there. Uh, They can provide you with information. They can provide you with referrals. Um, For people that have, uh, you know, lost their job and need food, there's a ton of food pantries in your area. Again, if you're in Chicago, you can go to my website, aldermancarlosrosa.org, and find more information about that there. Um, But really, this is a time for all of us to come together. And what we've seen um, in neighborhood after neighborhood here in the city of Chicago, what we've seen nationally is working people begin to form mutual aid networks to say, we're not going to wait for the corrupt Republicans or the corrupt corporate Democrats to do the right thing. We're going to step up and start working with one another. But but also at the local level, we've seen progressive elected officials, whether it be our United Working Families uh, elected officials this morning, or in state after state come forward and say, we're not going to wait for the the federal government to act, we're going to start instituting measures here in our hometowns, in our home states to protect working people. So I'm proud to have worked to make sure that there was a freeze on evictions uh, in Cook County. That was one of the things that I was pushing for at the very beginning of this crisis. We now want to legislate that to make sure that our working people are going to continue to see relief on mortgages and relief on uh, their rent. Um, I'm proud to be working right now behind the scenes on measures that will protect our working people, but we know that it's not enough right? We know that this is a crisis that's going to impact people over the long haul, uh, but it's going to require us to come together. It's going to require us to prioritize the most vulnerable in our community. And we're doing that through mutual aid networks where people are helping one another, but we also need to make sure that it's happening via legislation. So call your elected officials, let them know, right? You, if you're at home, right? Call them and let them know we demand relief. Not another bailout for Wall Street. We want to make sure that Main Street, that the American working class gets taken care of, Because this crisis has really shown us who is essential, right? The CEO of Goldman Sachs is not essential. He can stay home for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, and the world goes on. But if that delivery driver, if that Amazon worker, if that store clerk or store stalker is sick, which they're going to get sick because they're on the front line, if that nurse, if that doctor is sick and not available to do their job, our entire economy and our entire globe comes to a halt. So I think now is really a moment for people to really wake up and understand Who is the backbone of this economy and understand that we're only going to get this country right and we're only going to be able to have a strong economy if we strengthen that backbone. And that means relief for our most vulnerable workers. It means living wages. It means housing is a human right. As we say in United Working Families, it means a right to recovery. So, um, yeah, let's, let's come together right now and, and let's find ways to fight for those
0: things together. All right. Well put, Carlos. I appreciate it. it's, uh, you taking the time to talk to us. Carlos Ramirez Rosa. He's the ultimate of the 35th Ward. <laughs> and uh, Carlos, let's stay in touch as we head on. OK, read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's
1: what in Chicago. Culture. Food